0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast series titled More Conversations by the Andrew Young Center for Global Leadership at Morehouse College, hosted by the Oprah Winfrey Scholars. I am Jalen Lowe, a senior psychology major here at the college from Eden, North Carolina. Today, I have the privilege to introduce and have conversation with Dr. Aldowan Tart. Dr. Aldowan Tart is a world-renowned psychologist, author, and speaker. Dr. Tart is a graduate of Morales College, class of 96, and is the youngest African-American to receive his PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Michigan. Dr. Tart is truly a servant of the people and is committed to taking psychology to to the people. Dr. Tart is a recipient of the NAACP award for a lifetime of work counseling youth, couples, and families. He has appeared on ABC's Nightline, MTV's Made. TV1's Black Man Revealed, Fantasia for Real, BET's 106 and Park, Gospel Touch, and over 30 radio broadcasts. Dr. Tart is also a licensed and ordained minister who promotes mental health, healthy relationships, and healthy families. Dr. Tart manages a thriving psychology practice in Decatur, Georgia, and hosts workshops on healthy relationships, marriages, parenting, healthy sexuality, and conflict resolution across the country. He also serves on the prayer team as the chapel pastor at Word of Faith Family Cathedral Preschool and Elementary School. Dr. Tart is happily married to the Love of His Life Mecca and has two beautiful daughters, Raquel and Trinity. With that being said, I would like to welcome Dr. Aldewan Tart. Should I say the future Dr. Rowe? How you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you? Dr. Lowe. Yes, sir. Lowe,
1: Lowe. Let me get it right. Dr. Lowe.
0: Yes, sir. All right. Uh, before we get started, Dr. Tar, I would just like to again thank you for setting up time, Todd, setting us on time for us to do this. And with this conversation, uh, we will be centered around mental health, specifically mental health in the Black community. No and I hope that through this conversation, that we can contribute towards reducing and eliminating the existing stigma around mental health, and also provide resources and information to people in our community who may need help. Um, so, being Black. Being a Black person in America, um, we understand, comes with its own unique sets of challenges and obstacles. In, the lit- in his literature, um, the scholar W.E. Du Bois presents the concept of double consciousness that speaks to this two-ness of self that is experienced by Black Americans and the sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others. Um, understanding this, as a Morehouse man, could you briefly talk about your journey to and through Morehouse? I, uh, my my journey started off rough,
1: Jalen. I, uh, the first week I was at Morehouse, unfortunately, I was a victim of uh, crime. Uh, I had a friend that was murdered in my car uh, just, and he lost his life obviously. And so that was me really getting um, a rude awakening to psychology because I was a psychology major, but I really went right into violence prevention. I started working in a lab with Dr. Jan Adams and Dr. Dwayne Jackson. So I was supposed to start with Dr. Jackson, but actually uh, started with Dr. Jan Adams as well, because I really became interested in what causes us to kill one another or what, what causes crime, what causes black on black crime. It was not only personal, but it was also something that was of interest for the people. So I started doing lab work my freshman year. I mean, the summer, the summer I was there in 96, because I started in May, May or June. Um, I did not take any time off. I was in high school for a week graduating. I was at Morehouse the same week. So I was in school, graduated from high school and college the same week. And all this stuff happened. And so it made psychology come alive for me. And so during, during time at Morehouse, I was able to get a practical application uh, to what was going on by working with Violence prevention programs within the community, within the AUC, and also understand from a clinical standpoint how do you help people when it comes to aggression, violence, depression, anxiety, bipolar, uh, living in a neighborhood where there's high crime. So for me, it just took off fast. I, I, it it started tragically, but when we look at it, um, I I can appreciate the fact that I got a serious introduction into what's really going on in this country right now so that I could be able to heal and help, you know, thousands throughout the lifetime of being a psychologist.
0: Thank you so much for that, Dr. Tart. Um I'm truly sorry to hear about your friend and his pastor. Um, so that briefly, that talks about um, my next question um, and some of your challenges in this journey um, to and through Morehouse. How did you, like, what were your coping strategies? How did you get through Specifically, that event um, of losing a friend so early on your college journey?
1: Uh, it happened to like four or five of us. It was like five of us in a car. So we all got counseling and we all, um, you know, kind of comforted one another. And what I did was, you know, having a strong relationship with God, God was like, you lost one, but you're going to save many. You're going to save many because of this. So I've dedicated my life to making sure that I take care of my clients. Uh, So my friend's name was Oshari Diallo. So it's not a day I don't wake up thinking about him. So I never mail it in. I never feel like, okay, I have to make the donuts. No, it's personal every day that what I do helping people can save lives, can help people to feel better, can help parents communicate with their kids, can help, you know, young adults be able to express how they feel a lot better. And I had a really great girlfriend. I went to Spelman, that I was able, who I was able to talk to. Uh, she was able to uh, help take my mind off of it. We were able to have fun. We were able to connect, and I had a lot of good friends, and I had phenomenal professors at Morehouse College to help me to be able uh, to cope. And I had a lot of fun. I had a very balanced life, Jalen. All right, I had fun at Morehouse. Did I study? Yes, I did. Did I party? Yes, I did. Uh, did I play basketball and swim all the time? Yes, I did. So I had wellness built in because as you know, Morehouse is very competitive. And so I needed to make sure that I was able to balance uh, the stamina of studying and being at the top of my game with having fun so I don't burn out or make a mistake simply
0: out of boredom. Yes, sir. Thank you for that. So you had your own um, personal ways of getting through that, but you also had the help of counselors and therapy. So that ties into my next question. Considering all the reasons of why more African-Americans aren't seeking therapy, like the lack of access, the current stigma and et cetera. um, Why do you think there are not more African-Americans seeking care now?
1: Marketing. I think it's strictly marketing. When you actually introduce what it is, someone actually pays attention to you. Someone pays attention to you and listens to your feelings and actually makes it okay for you to be able to say how you feel. Uh, Most of the young black men I work with, like, man, this feels good. You can't talk to anybody what I say. You're not going to judge me for what I say. I could come in here and unmask and say how I feel about just getting broken up with or my dad not being there in my life are not doing well academically and me feeling like I'm letting my parents down. But when they call to act like they were doing too much, most men really, really, really enjoy the process. They've just never been exposed to it. So when I'm exposed to it in counseling, other, you know, although it had to be grief counseling, I was talking about other things. I was talking about relationships. And so I think it's our marketing of it. One as coaching, all right. Because men can receive coaching. Most men either have been coached through some type of sport, either, it, either it's robotic club, debate, and then you have to be sport. Most men have a great idea and a great association with coaching. So if you say, hey, let's come to life coaching, even though they're getting counseling, most men are open to it. And then exposure. This is why I do so much in the media is that I want people to see, oh, you know what? I was thinking psychology or counseling was this. But when I saw Dr. Tart or when I see Dr. Lowe, they seem relatable. They seem like someone I could actually sit down and talk with. If that's how it is, I think I'll go and I'll talk to someone because I was thinking it was something that it's really not. So anywhere I can uh, showcase psychology, showcase counseling, show people what it really is,
0: I'm going to do that. So was this um, event, um, was this your first introduction into therapy and counseling? You know, it was actually in high school. I had a wrestling coach. I had a
1: wrestling coach who was also my psychology teacher. And in psychology, I, I really liked the class. And we had someone come in. He's a professor at Morehouse, Dr. Alan Carter. Now, this is someone that Every African-American male in psychology knows in Atlanta, Georgia. He's trained the majority of psychologists. And he was talking about his job. He was talking about what he does for a a living. And he was talking about, okay, so pretty much I set my own schedule. I I see different clients every hour. I can see a married couple at 9. I can see a kid who's depressed at 10. I can see a mom who's overworked at 11. And the more he talked, Jalen, the more I was like, hold up, I think I want to do that. That's a real career? You can do that because I had never been introduced to private practice. I always thought psychology in hospitals. I thought psychology in straitjackets. I was thinking psychology in universities. I never thought about kind of the, you know, goodwill hunting uh, with Robin Williams or, or Denzel Washington and Antoine Fisher. I had never seen that before. And so seeing Dr. Carter talk about his day and talk about feelings and talk about different diagnoses and how you help people. That was the day that I was introduced to in psychology. And that was the day I said, that's what I want to do when I get older. I don't need to hear anything else. I'm good. I know I want to counsel for the rest of my life.
0: Thank you for that. Um, for people who haven't been introduced um, into therapy and counseling, could you talk about the overall help seeking process and what that may look like?
1: Yeah, it's it's really, really simple. So pretty much you, you find a psychologist. You can go to, to resources like psychology dot com and look for a psychologist. And most psychologists, you can just call and book or get a consultation. And so when you come in, the first session is me getting to know you. It's not judging. It's not diagnosing. It's, it's, it's getting to understand your world. So before we can offer any wise counsel, I have to get the way you see the world. I have to get. What, what's happened i have to get how you feel about it i have to get your goal for what you need me to do as your servant because i work for you and being able to get you from point a to point b so the first session is me listening and for us to develop goals like what are the goals that you want to accomplish here you want a better relationship with your mom you want to be able to to not feel insecure uh, when your your girlfriend is at a party you want to be able to improve your grades without smoking without drinking you want to be able to uh, work through conflict without shutting down for two or three days every time you argue. You want to be able to work through the fact that your dad's not there. Whatever the issue is, my job is to partner with you because we have equal power and helping you to accomplish the goals
0: in as fast a time as necessary. Thank you. Um, so within the black community, um, oftentimes we hear that therapy isn't needed or necessary. And oftentimes we're redirected to our religious roots uh, to cope and to get through our problems. And as someone who is a licensed minister and psychologist, how do you stress the importance of spiritual and mental health care?
1: Well, well, most people's base is their Christianity before they're a man or before they're black. A lot of people say, all right, I'm Christian. All right, I'm Christian. So if someone says that their, their highest identity is Christian, how can you not talk to them about their faith? Now, now you, you know, Dr. Lowe, And I'm claiming it for you, brother. This is why I decided to be a minister. I've been a psychologist for 21 years, but only a minister for four. I started hearing people in church say, you know what? All you need is Jesus. You know, the Lord won't put more on you than you can handle. You just need to pray about it. You know, I'm I'm too blessed to be stressed. Oh, that is a lie. All that is a lie. God will make you feel like it's too much. In the Bible, there were people who were depressed. Jeremiah was depressed. Paul was depressed. So when you look at it, I decided, to partner and say, you know what? What people need in the church is they need to be able to get the sermon, get the word, but they also need counseling to be able to apply it to their life. Yeah, uh, I believe in the Bible, but I need to be able to make the Bible alive in my marriage, all right? Because because reading the Bible is not going to help me only to have a, a, a better relationship with my wife. I need to have faith and works. So my work with the church is to be able to introduce mental health, Awareness, Like, yeah, sometimes you do get depressed there, there you do. You do have dep- uh, bipolar. You do feel anxiety. You do have addiction. You do feel secure, insecure. You do feel stressed and it's okay to be able to talk about these things. So what I tell churches is that you need to have a counseling ministry. How many people in church hear the sermon? And if you said, all right, not only can you give your life to the Lord, but how many of you would like some extra support in what we talked about in the sermon? And then you were able to actually usher them to licensed social workers, counselors and psychologists. Do you know what that would do? Because people, black people go to the church with their problems. They go to the barbershop with their problems. They go to emergency personnel. So the hospital, jails, that's where we're dealing with mental health issues. So why not be proactive and deal with that inside of the church? And that is my life mission. And most pastors agree because, you know, Dr. Lowe, we're the ones they call.
0: I really like the fact that you pointed out um, sort of this pipeline that, that you're trying to create um, with the church and to mental health care. Um, because like you said, during the time of crises, we're not, or the pastor, you're not directly calling the pastor. The pastor is reaching out to these professionals who can direct you in the right point. Um, so I really like that you pointed that out. And I was wondering if there was any, anything additional that you wanted to add to that before the next,
1: you know what I did not anticipate Jalen. I did not anticipate pastors calling me for counseling. I did not see that. And so when I was asking I was like, you know, as a psychologist, what do you think the greatest need is in the church? Where should I focus my services as a psychologist? (laughs) And almost to a person, they were like me. I was like, what? They were like, I need someone to talk to. I said, why don't you talk to other pastors? They said, absolutely not. Why would I tell another pastor what's going on with me? You know, I, I feel like pastors talk. I feel like they'll judge me. I feel like they may take some of my ideas or they may feel like I'm not uh, I'm not pastoral. If I'm having problems with addiction, if I'm having problems with depression, if I'm having problems with lust, if I'm having problems with, with managing my kids, you know, I'm, I'm at church, but my own kids feel like they don't see me. And so I'm, I'm focusing on everyone else except for my church. I don't want to go tell other pastors that. I need someone who's going to keep that confidential, <laughs> who who I trust, and I can sue if you do go tell someone, I need a place where I don't have to feel like I'm perfect. Because a lot of times people feel like pastors have to be God. But at the end of the day, they're just men and women. They're they're just servants and they have the same problems as everyone else. And that's why you see actually higher rates of suicide with leaders, especially pastors and ministers, because they feel like they can't open up to anyone. Because if you're if I'm the person everyone comes to, what do I look like coming to you saying I'm having the same problems that you're dealing with? So, a lot of it is stigma. It's that double stigma of not only am I a male, uh, but I'm also a minister. So, I'm supposed to have it all figured out. And that is just toxic masculinity, it's toxic spirituality. So, I see a fair amount of ministers and pastors throughout the country that simply want to talk to someone that they don't have interaction with day to day to be able to de stress and to be able
0: to talk about the things that they struggle with. I really like that. And I see. Um, that being very impactful if every person a part of the church and the church community can incorporate um, this mental health pipeline that that you're trying to do in your work. Um, Considering that we're in the middle of a pandemic um, and the mental health and well-being of whole societies have been severely impacted by this crisis, um, what are some ways that people can take care of themselves or we can take care of ourselves and our communities? Well, first of all, you have to figure out a way to be
1: safe and social. What I see is people quarantining too much or not enough. So they're doing no quarantine. You know, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. There are People that are out here like COVID is not real. But I get it. They want to be social. They want to connect. So I say find a way to be safe and social. So maybe uh, go out and wear a mask, uh, have social distance, do things outside, be in the park, be with people. Because what we want to what we want to avoid is disconnection. See, so you think about it in jail and I'll be quick in jail. How do they punish us? And we get in a fight. We're going to solitary confinement. So we know that loneliness kills. And so what's happened is that we're having increasing rates of depression, thoughts of suicide and anxiety and loneliness is at a record high because people are spending too much time by themselves being safe. But at the compromise of their own wellness and their own sense of connection. So what I say is find the balance between safety safety. And social connection so that you don't allow um, loneliness and boredom to decrease your mental wellness.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you for that. And for the people um, who also need the resources, like what resources are available out there so that people can find help and find care?
1: So, the best resource for me is psychologytoday.com. You can go through, scroll through their articles, you can find a therapist. Uh, even with your insurance, so you can put in your type of insurance, your zip code, and then it will actually match you with the psych- many psychologists and social workers and counselors for you to be able to call to get help 24-7. And with COVID-19, it's opened up the door for telehealth because most psychologists are doing sessions via Zoom, via Teladoc, via these platforms. So guess what that means? That means that you can have access to a world-class psychologist in any state. So you can, you can you can work with someone who's in California. Say you're in Macon, Georgia, and you can't find an African-American male psychologist. Guess what? You can look at California. You can look at Georgia. You can look at New York. You can look at Chicago, and you can find the, the specific psychologist that you need and work with him or her uh, really easily, and your insurance will pay for it because of telehealth during COVID-19.
0: Thank you for that. Um, So this is my last question. Um, And it is if you could give advice to a a recently graduated or upcoming graduate uh, psychologist going into the field, what would you say? What would you offer to them?
1: Uh, One, know that there's so many opportunities in psychology. You're going to be a happy person because the need for psychology is robust. I've worked for the NBA. I've worked for television stations. I have a private practice. I work in a church. I can work anywhere. Why? Because mental health issues are everywhere and everyone wants to see a psychologist. So I would say go get a master's degree. Go get a a PhD. It is going to allow you to be able to work and do what you want to do for the rest of your life. The options are broad. You will never worry about money. You will never worry about boredom because you can consistently pick what you want to do to be a blessing to the community and get paid a good living for it and be able to set your hours. So I say this is a growing field. Uh, It is becoming. Uh, less of a Stigma, the Generation Z, it's on every television show. Love and Hip Hop, it's on every single show, so people are used to it. So go on out there, uh, get your degree, sharpen your skills, and then you'll be able to help people so that every day you come home, you know you made a difference in the world. Psychology is one of the most in-
0: instrumental instruments to us feeling well as a community. Yes, sir. Thank you again, Dr. Tart. Uh, I just want to thank you again for taking out the time to be here. Um, and also, I would like to thank everybody tuning into this uh, through the Andrew Young Center and more conversations this episode, the mental health episode. Hopefully, there was something said today that you all can take from this. And again, just thank you for tuning in. All right,
1: and just check me out at drtart.com. That's drtartt.com. T.com.